Welcome to the Lead Full Podcast, hosted by Chesley Lunday. In each episode, we bring you innovators and creatives that share their insights to help you eradicate futility in your life so you can lead from fulfillment. Only fulfilled leaders can fill the world with hope. Get ready to lead full. Hey, welcome to the Lead Full Podcast. I am your host, Chesley Lunday. I am excited for today's interview. We're gonna interview Jesse Ross. We're gonna talk about his Go Be Foundation. He's the founding director of that, where he deploys thousands of organizations and groups of people to be like a housewarming party for veterans. He also does uh, speaking with other places like Catalyst West and the Q Commons. And he is getting ready to launch his Dreamwide book. And we're gonna talk all about that in this interview. Stay tuned. Well, got Jesse Ross here with us today. Thank you for uh, joining us, man. It's good to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. So we got to hang out. You were at Starbucks. I say hang out. We were doing it digitally, but <laughs> and we had. I think I'm addicted. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. Well, I got my BlackRock, so I go every day. So BlackRock is only on the West Coast, though. Do you, you when you lived in Cali? Did you I, did you have that? No, I've never heard of Black Rock. It must man, be a Pacific a Northwest aficionado. thing. So, okay, yeah, okay. they're quickly taking over the world. Like if Starbucks starts to go to drive-through, Black Rock is like, "Hey, yeah. we'll we'll take your spot." Let's so, do it. Yeah, man. Well, you know, I, I, it's funny. I kept this cup in my fridge the other day, and I, this is actually my own home brew. So, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, you're cheating. I, I, you're I, doing. If it's if it's cold brew coffee, I'm in. That is usually. amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. So cool. Tell us, uh, you know, tell us your story. Tell us what you're do what you're doing. We would love to hear that. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, gosh, I, um, like you, uh, I've been in ministry for a very long time, official, you know, pastor staff. Um, I grew up in a very, uh, fundamental denomination, you know, a really hardcore conservative Baptist church. Um, and pretty much kind of rejected that at a pretty early age, you know, I was like, yeah, that's not really for me. And, um, I, uh, you know, kind of grew up in a small town in the, in the mountains of Colorado and craved to be out of small town. And, um, that took me to Los Angeles where I went and got my master's degree in the seminary there at Azusa Pacific university. Yeah. Um, and man, I just fell in love with Los Angeles. I, we, you know, my wife and I, we met in Colorado and moved together and we stayed there 17 years and just really became part of the community, went, just learned so much, you know, LA is a, is one of a kind Los Angeles, you know, and, uh, but it was such a good experience for me and for her. And, uh, yeah, we were there 17 years and, you know, I was a teacher and in a public school in a poor neighborhood, I just learned so much there. I felt like I got, I learned more there than I did in seminary, you know, just being on the streets, being yeah. in a public school where, you know, in Azusa, where, you know, um, the, the, the amount of people who are just below the poverty line is just unbelievable. And so I got an education trying to give an education and and get it at the same time so that was a great experience but yeah um yeah so we we did that and 
I was on staff at churches. I, you know, went, I was on staff at some really large mega churches and some that are very, you know, known worldwide and just um, saw the good and the bad and learned a lot. And, you know, here I am now, we're in Columbia, South Carolina, and I'm not on staff. I'm not in a miss in a, in a ministry role formally, but um, taking all of that knowledge and all of those experiences and really trying to um, do something good with it. So that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Um, so two questions for you. The first one is where at in Colorado? Okay. Durango. Have you heard of Durango? Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people have. Why do you know Durango? So I used to live in Salida. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, and Pueblo West. So we played those guys oh, in basketball and football back in the what? day. Yeah. That is crazy. And then you have what? to go through Durango uh, to get to uh, Phoenix, Arizona from Nebraska. So when we oh. when we moved here, um, I was I had to drive through Durango to get here, anyways. But yeah, wow. it was just, yeah. So I, I mean, was that's, there. Yeah, you probably had to go over some mountain passes, huh? Those like Wolf Creek and Red Mountain or anything. Yeah, or? Uh, okay. I so we yes, you you do that um, once you're like right before you get to Durango, and then you it opens up a little bit, and then yeah, you go through the pass to get you know yeah. to get into the desert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean. And then did you ever drive through the Navajo Indian Reservation? Uh, you know, much? Um, probably not. Um, I was driving, and uh, by the time I got out of Durango, because I stopped for dinner, it was dark. So I maybe, got it, yeah. but I don't yeah, know. Maybe, yeah. Didn't know. Yeah. So that, that was a, a unique experience. You know, Durango is a, a tourist destination. You know, yes, there's it a is. ski resort there called Purgatory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and um, you know, it's a beautiful place, expensive to live there. And, but I grew up poor, like, I mean, Durango was kind of a different experience for us. You know, I never got to go skiing at Purgatory. The passes were too expensive. Yeah. But, um, but you know, then you drive in 45 minutes and, you know, you're in, uh, you know, Navajo Indian Reservation area. And it was just, that was a, that was quite an experience. But yeah, right. Durango was, was home until I was, man, until I was 23. 24. That's crazy. Yeah. I remember Salida was very much the same way. Um, yeah. it was very expensive. We were poor. My dad was on a staff at a startup church and, wow. uh, and then he was bivo. So he's bivocational. So he had the church job, but then he owned his own painting company. And wow. yeah, so I grew up pretty broke, <laughs> you know, wow. and, um, yep. you know, you have yep. Monarch ski pass there and, uh, all my friends would go, God, uh, ski and sn snowboard on the weekends. And, you know, you're, yeah. you're out like uh working with dad trying to put food on the table you know and so painting and then, yes painting so wow. then i went in the military and started my own painting company but this isn't about me so this is about <laughs> you um what are you what are you doing now that's that's the question i have yeah. for you next what do you, what are you doing yeah. now in in south carolina of all places yeah. yeah you know uh towards the end of our time in los angeles it was just uh, starting to wear on us you know the the pace of life, the cost of living. My wife and I, my wife's a nurse practitioner. She makes more money than I do. Yeah. And both of us working full time, we could barely afford, you know, the house that leaked when it rained that we lived in and, um, and had poor air conditioning. So, you know, and there was also a drought at the same time. We were, we were ready for change. We've been there 17 years and, but, um, there was a, a, 
a multi-site church out here that's based in North Carolina that uh, hired me to come out and launch a campus here in Columbia, South Carolina. And that lasted about a year and a half right before COVID, you know, and uh, shut down. Um, And we're just thankful because it brought us here. And I'm telling you, I never would have imagined living in South Carolina. I didn't even really think about South Carolina growing up, you know, Um, and we just we love it. You know, it's we're we're closer to nature. Like I still when I hear a bird, I stop and like, look, because I didn't hear those in Los Angeles. Right. Unless there are pigeons grabbing on your car. (laughs) Yeah. And if you could hear them over the freeway right now, you know, I was like, oh, man. So, yeah. So we just, yeah, fell in love with it here. And yeah. um, Yeah. And so I, I, I'm a, I'm entrepreneurial at heart and, you know, I'm not the person that you want to put on a church staff and say, here's this role, like with all these parameters now, just keep that wheel turning and do it until you die. Like, man, I will die on day one, you know, and they will fire you. Yeah. Cause you're not good at that job. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, uh, I want to be creating, I want to be um, deconstructing and then reconstructing. I want to, I want to, you know, create the future. I'm, I'm not with the stagnant thing for me. Um, so I am enjoying this process. Now it is scary to be entrepreneurial. It's scary to step out of those comfort zones where all those things are, you know, just kind of baked in, you know, that's the trade-off is like, Hey, I have job security. I have a paycheck that's regular. I have, you know, health insurance, all these things. Um, and it takes it, you know, that was, that was a, you know, that's, that's the, that's the leap really. But, um, yeah, I, I just really have a passion for, um, taking this idea. It, it's permeated into our church too, but, um, I, I, I called it dream wide and, and, that, and then we can talk about that, but that's the context. So that's what I'm doing right now. I am full on, uh, because I believe this to my core, pushing this message of dream wide. That's the that's the name, the context for it. Okay, so tell us what is what does it mean to dream wide? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's a counter to the thing that we hear all the time, which is dream big, right? And yeah. nothing wrong with dreaming big, but um, what that has come to mean, you know, we have eight billion people on this planet who are all dreaming their own big best life and we get so laser focused on our goals and our vision our our own church our own company our own politics that we lose sight of everything that's on the peripheral of that vision right so and i love to use that example it was always told us dream big you know put up a vision board for what you want to accomplish and a lot of times those vision boards like had a Ferrari or, you know, a big house, or maybe it's multiple campuses. And I want to, I want to plant a church everywhere in the whole world, you know, and it was all these, we had these visions. And then we say now lock in laser focus. And it's true. Like, you know, anything that's worth accomplishing, that's a big goal, you have to laser focus, but there's, we lost the awareness. So what we did was we laser focused and it, and I call it laser burn. Like we just, burned everything that's in the peripheral vision, just like the horses that walk down the road like this. Um, we, we lost sight of, we lose sight of our family. We lose sight of our children. We lose sight of the community around us. We lose sight of the schools down the street that aren't 
functioning, um, you know, and then we blame them. We have, and it's, it's led to a lot of disparities that we have. And it's hard for us to step back, take our eyes off of the ego, off of ourself, off of our own ambitious goals and say, let me take a look and see what I've been neglecting. Let me take a look and see how maybe what I'm doing might be causing this and could it be harming others, right? I mean, you look at corporations that will just plow through the environment just to get to their end goal. You look at people who plow through people like human beings just to get to their end goal. Um, that's what I feel um, is, is that's, that's in a nutshell what DreamWide is, you know. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense. So the, the question I am thinking is um, – where has the church plowed through? What have they plowed through? And uh, what does that look like? Because obviously you've been in the context of church. Now you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, yeah. My guess is some of my listeners, maybe many of my listeners have feel a little disenfranchised by mm -hmm. uh, the what I would call the legacy model of church. What is what's yeah. been done for the last 1700 years? Um, wow. What a where have they plowed through people? What what have they? Uh, what is the mission? The end goal? You were you were in the system, so talk about that. What does that look like from a church context? Oh man, such a it's such a good question because, man, it could take on a lot of different forms. But I I would say that plowing through people is is a very common thing. And you know, you said like the legacy model that, or you know, that we just we've done it this way. We're going to do it. But there's also you know, theologies and beliefs, things that we're just, we haven't even really questioned and we haven't really deconstructed that, that might just be a little off. And so we don't even give room for people to question, right? Um, if you question theology, it's, it feels really threatening. And so a lot of times we just plow through people in that sense, like, you know, um, um, if you're doubting something, we don't, we don't allow doubt. We don't have room for that. Like, are you backsliding you know are you not a christian like what's your problem and there's that there's also you know we've a, we've we've kind of mimicked i don't know if we're mimicking capitalism or if capitalism is mimicking us but we uh, i think it's just one and the same but a lot of times um we we kind of use this the, the excuse of evangelism to have unchecked ambition and unchecked ego towards reaching big like you know and i and i was in it man i was like there's nothing wrong with this bigness it's like we're supposed to reach the world let's and we just kept building this um machine you know and the machine it's almost like it it eventually can it kind of takes over and um yeah people are are disposable resources it's like you know, you can be on, I've been on staff at churches where I felt like I was on the show Survivor. Like there's, you know, we got to pit people against each other, create competitiveness, like yeah. who's going to rise to the top, you know? And we're, and I felt like, man, where am I? I do not feel like I'm part of a community here. I don't feel, and there was pressure. We, you know, there was this one uh, pastor who was yelling at volunteers because the slide on the song was just a little bit slow on that song. So he's on there just yelling and, you know, um, just, you know, I think we just, yeah, the, the cart got ahead of the horse in a lot of ways. Does that kind of answer your question? Like, yeah, 
a couple um, examples. Obviously, you were in that system for a while, um, mm-hmm. and um, something must have clicked inside of you that said, "This is not all it's cracked up to be." Like, yeah, what, what, what happened? Like, why'd you change? Yeah. Um, man, I think that's a, you know, I started thinking like, when's the first time it started, you know, I remember being on staff at this very large church and I really, my wife and I both thought, man, we found it. This is, this is it. Like, this is what we're, this is like going to change the world. And, you know, I was there for a couple of years and I remember standing there one day while the crowds were just coming in and out, we'd have six services a weekend and just fill this place. And, and people would just come in and I started realizing that um, we are, you know, we love crowds. We don't really like people like, like a lot of the, a lot of the pastors, like we couldn't, you know, you can only name the volunteer. Hey, I'm interrupting this amazing interview because I want to tell you about something really quickly. I want to tell you about followers made. A lot of us have been in church for a very long time and yet we are you know, we have problems because we don't exactly know what it means to follow Jesus. And it's not actually sitting in a pew or sitting in a seat listening to a preacher. It's actually developing the gifts and call that God has on our lives and also developing intimacy with Jesus. Now, dudes, I know that word intimacy seems a little weird, but give it a chance. We want to help you develop your relationship with Jesus and develop the call of God that is on your life. And so we would love for you to text 480-531-9015 and do this for me. Text hello to 480-531-9015. I'm going to get back to you and we would love to set up a time to show you what that system followers made looks like and how we might help you uh, follow Jesus better in your context. Here's that you got to like get under your ministry, but you know, we, and we were so happy to see the crowds, but you know, um, these, I, I felt, I felt a disconnect and I think that might've started it. But then I think that sometimes when you do get to see behind the scenes and, you know, I know that there's no one who's perfect and there's, um, you know, a lot of grace that we can give towards people, but there was some things that are just like, no, this isn't, this isn't okay. Like, um, there's a lot of, uh, a lot, I think, I don't know why, I don't know if I was attracted to it somehow to churches that were very, uh, there's a lot of nepotism, you know, this was like a family dynasty Yeah. and you were just, you were exposable and expendable. Right. Um, and you know, you could sense that, um, that they're protecting this almost like they're protecting their livelihood, their entire family. Not only are all their kids on staff, their grandkids are getting involved. Like, you know, it's like if anything was to break down, like this will destroy us. And so there was a lot of things put in place where it started to feel, started to feel almost like the mob, you know, um, there was a lot of controlling language. There was a lot of, uh, yeah, just, it just wasn't healthy. Um, and, and I think that's kind of maybe one of the starting points. That's uh, right. You were, you were at a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm trying to think back. So I, I'm from Tulsa, 
Um, and from for those of you that are my listeners that have no clue what we're talking about with church, you get, you're getting to hear a little bit of the underbelly of the yeah. church industrial complex, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And um, uh, I, I'm I can almost guarantee you, I know exactly which church you're talking about. So, um, and yeah, there's a lot of that issue there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is. And I think that they, um, you know, I I kept thinking like there was a couple of times where I I would, you know, I I resigned and I went on staff somewhere else and I thought, oh, this is it, you know, and then it was like, no, I think they're, they're very, it's very, uh, like you said, it's, you can pretty much find the same thing once you kind of uncover, uncover the, the wrapping. Um, but yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. I think churches are really finding their way and, and whenever something challenges the status quo, it's really hard for them to, to sit with that and to listen. And, and I think we talked about this when I first met you, but, uh, we aren't really connected with the world outside of us. And we'll say like, Hey, we're going to get involved. We're gonna do things in the community, but what I found is that uh, we're only involved with people outside of the church to the extent that they will be involved with us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, and a lot of times we called them secular and we felt like what we were doing was more important. And, you know, you know, people, they're doing great work in the community since they weren't doing it through the church or our church. It was like, no, but we'll create a program and then we want you to be involved with it. And if you're not, there's no relationship. And, um, that's, you know, the, the, the ego, the, the religious ego is very strong. And the bigger, it seems, unfortunately that the bigger you get, the bigger, the, the harder it is to break down the ego, you know? Yeah. Um, so what, obviously there was something about church that attracted you that kept, yeah. maybe it was like, Hey, maybe I can change this from the inside. I don't know. Um, but obviously there's a beauty there that you're like, Hey, this is, there's something here and I don't want to just give that up. What was, what was that? Yeah. You know, when I was, when in, when I was growing up in that fundamental hardcore Baptist church and it was a lot of rules, it was a lot of systems, a lot of fear based, you know, um, but at seven years old, I was sitting in the back of church and I don't even remember what the message was. It had not, it wasn't even, I think it was just, they were talking at the end, but something, I had an encounter with the divine. Like I had an encounter with God and it was a, it wasn't fear-based. It wasn't like, I don't want to go to hell, you know, um, (laughs) I want to go to heaven. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't pressure from friends. And I remember I've been at like camps where, you know, I had friends telling me like, Hey, I'll buy you a Snickers if you go forward, you know? Mm. And I was like, man, that's weird. Like, no, I don't, I'll get my own <laughs> Snickers. Thanks. But this, uh, something hit me and I was like crying and I'm a seven year old boy and my friends are sitting next to me and I'm like, you know, I'm supposed to be cool. This isn't, but I felt, I felt the love of God. Like it was almost like I could audibly hear him, which I didn't, but it was felt like I just knew that you are loved, you are loved unconditionally. And it was, I mean, that has been my foundation. So whenever there's the rejection of the other and you're not following along and um, we're going to cast you out or the laser burning of people and things, um, man, I think I, I think I sense it in it and in right away, like I feel that. And, but yeah, because of that experience, 
I was really passionate about, I, I really felt like, you know, I got my undergrad in exercise science and I became a teacher with a minor in history. And I was thinking, I want to be a coach and a teacher. Cause I, my dad was a pastor too. And I didn't really want that life. You know, my, our, and it sounds like your dad too. Yeah. They weren't the glamorous mega church pastor that had, you know, people picking up the airport. Oh, we no. can't even afford to fly. Like yeah. my dad, it was the 2 a.m. Uh, phone calls from families going out chasing drunk bachelors and yeah. all that stuff. I was like, man, I don't want to do that. I right? had the high water how- Gen Z jeans before they were cool. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just because exactly. we couldn't afford them. Yeah. I remember yeah, getting, it- getting home one day and my mom's like, why are you sagging? We don't sag in this house. I'm like, I'm sagging, so it looks like I have a regular pair of jeans. Yeah, exactly. Because this is why <laughs> this has been through like three other people. And yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I feel you, bro. Man. I feel you. <laughs> yeah, we'd get a box of Lost and Found and go through it like we were at Nordstrom. You know, and <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean no. that was that was that was our life, man. And worked on it. We yeah. actually worked on a farm. There was a guy in the church that had a farm, and we worked there all summer just to get meat from like one of his cows. Mm. Like that was, I mean, I remember being like, dang, I, I, I was saving up for a bike and I thought I'd get paid. But at the end it was like, where the money going? Dad said, well, he, he gave us half a cow. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's good. pretty bad. You know? yeah. But that was life, you know, but, but anyway, yeah, that, um, that was my experience in church. So I was trying to kind of avoid it. Uh, but something <laughs> kind of like, like, like avoiding the plague or COVID. <laughs> I will quarantine oh, myself from this. Yeah, no, I get I was you. like, no, I don't want to do it. And I yeah. and I even got a job at a bank and mm-hmm. started moving up the ladder. You know, I started getting mm-hmm. into like loans and stuff. And I and I and I had this moment. I was like, man, I just don't think I'd be fulfilled. There's something missing. Even if I, even if I climbed the ladder a lot, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember meeting my wife, and and it was early in our marriage. I kept saying over and over, I feel like I just need to like get prepared or learn more about the Bible or something. And I kept telling her this and she finally said, you know, I hear you say that a lot. Why don't we just do it? And I was like, I never thought about just doing it. And that's mm-hmm. when I applied and we ended up moving to Los Angeles. But long story short, I mean, yeah, I, I really felt like, hey, getting involved in the church, the right kind of church or maybe the right denomination or the right, you know, maybe that's where I can, you know, create the most impact or be a part of this movement. And you know, um, so that's what, yes, you're right. You know, that's what attracted me to it. That's yeah. So I went there. Yeah. And so after, after 17 years of doing the church ministry piece, um, it was like, okay, there's something more, um, you, you call a laser burn. And so obviously this is the thing that I think people that don't under, well, I think, I think a lot of my listeners understand that, uh, the church gets in a space where they say, uh, the, if you're going to be all in on the mission of Jesus, you need to become a pastor. Yeah. And, yes. and, and that's wrong. <laughs> that's wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and so that's where I would say we create this laser burn for mm-hmm. us. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, you call, uh, you know, it's like, it's, and you get narrow, you, you, you yeah. narrow. Right. And so very narrow. Well, yeah. I want to get into entrepreneurship and business and where you're at now. But before we go there, um, paint a picture of what dreaming wide looks like in church. Oh, man. I mean, to be honest, it, I'm, I'm still exploring that because, um, 
I did try and think that, you know, maybe I could change from the inside, change some things, right? And not that I know everything. I'm just like, yeah. even simple things, for example, like you mentioned, you know, our the church world is just so insulated and like we're so focused on our own vision. We're so focused on our own programs. And the ultimate, like we try to um, center everyone's life around what we're doing. And I remember being on staff at one church where almost every day of the week, we wanted there to be something happening at the church. And, you know, because in people's lives, like, yeah, they were, it's like, if you weren't part of this church, you're going to lose community, you're going to lose friends, you're going to lose all of your activities, all your children are so attached to everything that's happening here. Your life evolves around it. And that's, it's a little bit scary, but at the same time, it, it's taking us away from the the everything else, the, the outside of the church. Right. I remember on staff and I said, hey, I have an awesome idea. Why don't we highlight some of the people in our congregation that are doing incredible things in the community? Like, and I met some people, I met <clears throat> this couple, they were like attorneys, high, high, like, you know, US attorneys. And they were like donating most of their time to the underserved and like helping in the community with, um, and, and they were doing incredible things. Then you have healthcare people, you have doctors and nurses, you have people who are working for like the United Way who are just killing it, like helping yeah. people find housing. And, and man, they shot it down. Like with, it was like, it was like they had a blank stare and immediately it went to, let's have a volunteer fair for um to get people involved in what we're doing here right and and that and they started planning let's do that let's let's get uh you know highlight some of the volunteers that are doing great things here and that's when i knew i was like oh man this this machine has lost its way it is it is now it exists now to exist that's its <laughs> main goal yeah. we have to exist and we have to thrive we have to get bigger and and the like i said man, the community and, you know, so many churches I was involved in right outside of our door was some of the biggest needs in the community. And we just ignored them because our thing was too important. So, and I forgot your question, but that is like, that was one of the keys is I don't know, like, and I started losing hope and I felt like I had to get out. And then, so, um, I don't know if you know that when I was in Los Angeles, I started a nonprofit outside yeah. of the church, Yeah, but and but we still we still activate churches to get involved with we move homeless people into permanent housing when they get a voucher for an apartment and they've been homeless we collect a welcome home kit and we move them in and when i was doing that i sometimes i'd move someone in on a sunday and i wouldn't go to church and i was like man i just went to church like <laughs> i am in this living room yeah. with this with this grown man and his wife who have been living out of their car and he's weeping and like praising God that yeah. they have a home now. I'm like, man, I'm so thankful that I wasn't sitting in that chair at church today because this this was church, right? Yeah. So, so, uh, but it was really hard to do that inside of it. I had to step outside of it, and I'm not saying that everybody needs to step outside of the church to to make change. And I do think there's signs of hope and i think your story and um you know what you're trying to do um i think that that's going to be the challenge is like here's here's what i tell people with the dream wide is 
we need to start creating goals and measuring outcomes because we do that, right? We, I have goals, I measure my outcomes, I have milestones. We know how to throw a vision out and then plan and take steps to get to it. We're really good at it, but we're just always, so if we took a, a vision or a plan of something in our community, something, so I think if we start um, turning our vision out and and start creating those kind of things, so in all of your goals and visions and outcomes, do any of them have anything to do with someone outside of you, someone outside of your organization, someone outside of your company? I think that's a, that might be one place to start. And I think most churches will say, we have an outreach pastor. Yes, that's what they do. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. uh, they, you know, we get involved in this and we've created this program. And, but um, yeah, uh, that might be, that might be one step, but okay. yeah. What do you think? Um, at the end of the day, the church is about equipping people for the work of the ministry. Now we have, uh, so that's Ephesians four, but mm -hmm. we have, um, relegated work of the ministry to inside of a church building. And that's not actually what Paul was talking about at all. Right. Um, and so obviously there are issues with that. And I think I'm going to, after our interview, I will unpack, unpack that piece. Yeah, because I think yeah. that's so important to understand when we read in America, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, we, every American Christian thinks inside of the church building mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. we as pastors have uh, done a really bad job at explaining the original context of that scripture. Yeah. And so I think, I think when I hear you speak, it's like, we need to empower leaders for impact in their community. Yes, yes. It, can I say this? Yeah. My wife, my wife is a has been a nurse practitioner, and she is incredible at what she does. She is the type of nurse practitioner that um, just it's like her touch is healing. You know, she while while in ministry all these years, except for like maybe a year or two where she actually stepped off ministry and came and worked at the same church with you know together. Yeah. She's been doing that, um, but the whole time of all the 20 years in ministry, there was never a point with the where the church um, valued what she did. It was always like, it's it's said from the pulpit, almost like, yeah, like what we do here, every every program, you know, being in ministry is the ultimate. And here my wife is, like, especially in this last year through this pandemic, she, I'm, I'm telling you, man, like, she's running circles around pastors in ministry, like in terms of like ministering to people, like helping people through the, you know, the last stages of life. And she's not just dealing with the person on the bed. She's dealing with the entire, entire family. family. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, if she comes every day and tells me stories, I was like, man, if every church would just dismantle and go out and work like that, like that's the kind of like, that's the kind of work that needs to be done. But it was interesting, you know, just to note that my wife, I asked her, you know, and she's like, yeah, I actually sometimes felt like maybe I was out of God's will because I wasn't um, working at the church or mm -hmm. in ministry. And isn't that crazy? Like, yeah. I think that you're right. It's gotten so bad that people who are doing incredible things, um, they feel like it's second, it's second, you know, second rate compared to the person on stage or someone who... You know, they used they highlight people who gave up a good paying job. They gave up their they gave up their big 
to, and God took a huge pay cut to be in ministry. Let's, let's, let's elevate them and praise them right now for that. And I was like, what did you do before? Oh, uh, you know, they did something, they were doing something incredible, working with the most incredible people in the community. And I'm like, man, that's sad now. And like me, when I got into the bubble of the church, at one point I was like, man, I feel like I'm working at a corporation. Like I could yeah. go, well, I was in charge of like a media department and I'm like approving, you know, lights and cameras and, you know, big screens. And we're just meeting deadlines and filming this announcements and doing that. And I'm just like, I could do this at Coke, Coca-Cola. You know, I could do this anywhere. It didn't even feel like ministry, you know? Yeah, there is a way to be able to do church if they were supporting the people like you that are out in the community doing the entrepreneurial, uh, what I would call kingdom work. Like at the end of the yeah. day, uh, if you if you are starting a business and you're hiring people, like how are you being the boss? You know, um, how are you how are you caring for the people in their community? I heard one guy that was selling Cutco knives like he went over to a person's house that had just lost their job and uh, he ends up giving wow. the Cutco knife to the person for free just wow. to say, here you go. I know you can't pay for anything. Kate came out of there and then he prayed for them. Right. It's like, oh, Dude. that's an that's an actual you're actually making a real difference. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember you the last who, time I saw a non-Christian pers yeah. person w inside of the office of my church. It doesn't wow. happen. Wow, wow. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I think one of the big wake-up moments for me was uh, in Easter when I was on a staff at a church in Brea, California. Very, very uh, white, privileged, yeah. lots of money. We're sitting there at, before, right before Easter, and it was like, Hey, you know, this is very typical. The pastor said, think about someone that you know that doesn't know God and think about inviting him. And I was sitting there and I was like, I don't know anyone right now. I don't have connection with anyone outside of this church. And I, I literally cried. I was like, where am I? Like, where, how did I get here? <laughs> right. How did I get here? And, and that's what led me to pretty quickly after that, it just, it's almost like my eyes were opened. I was like, this is a subculture and actually it's kind of cultish, especially where I was right there. It was very, it's very cultish. And I was like, I got to get out. And I got out and we moved to downtown Los Angeles. We moved right onto the streets and the neighborhood. And that's what, that's what, you know, when we started, you know, um, Gobi, the, the nonprofit and yeah. everything and I started, I was like, I got to get out and my entire, I hope all my interactions now are outside of the bubble, but yeah, that's, that's a, that's a huge thing. Yeah. yeah. So let's switch gears a little bit. We talked yeah. about church long enough and I'm yeah. sure a lot of my <laughs> listeners are like, yep, that's the reason why we left. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, and I, you know, I have a message for those people because they do need to be a part of us, uh, the community mm -hmm. of believers. Right. So mm -hmm. we, there is a conversation to be had there, but, um, what does Dreamwide look like in the context of um, the people you're trying to reach? Yeah, um, well, especially today. I mean, we we have a lot of people who are having to reinvent themselves, and so a lot of people, you know, who have lost jobs and gone through this pandemic, and or they're starting something over or having to restart. Um, there's just it, now is the time to. If you if you if you're down to a place where you have a, a foundation now, 
um, to start building again, now is the time to think about dreaming wide. And if you think about this in practical terms, if you build a, if you just start building big, eventually it's going to become unstable, right? It's actually, like you said, very narrow. Um, and if you, and if you look at buildings, I mean, that's why foundations are always bigger. The foundations are deeper. Um, but a lot of us just say, oh, I need this big vision. Now I'm just going to, I'm going to lose sleep and I'm going to hustle and I'm just going to go after it. And, you know, pretty soon it's unsustainable. It's, um, burning you out and you're losing sight of everyone around you. So when you start to build something and now is the time, let's start with a wide vision. Let's start with a wide foundation and start, you know, I would even think I, I'm going to do this. And I know that creating a business plan isn't really a popular thing anymore because things are changing so fast. They say, yeah. if you create a business plan, get ready to wreck it in five days. But, but if I would like to create kind of a business plan to start with that, starts involving some things like, you know, um, how's, how's what you're doing going to impact here, you know, and some of those things like creating some goals and visions for things outside of it. Um, but yeah, those, so I'm talking to entrepreneurs, I'm talking to business leaders, you know, uh, and, and sometimes churches, <laughs> if they'll, if they'll have me, cause some of them aren't ready to hear it yet. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of, who I'm talking to, but it, it doesn't, you don't even have to be starting. Some of, sometimes a lot of people, especially even in Silicon Valley, like it's kind of a thing where people can reach a high level of success and have, man, I, they look on paper, like they did everything right. It got big. They have the money, but they've lost relationships. They've lost, um, they burned, they're burning out. The money is not fulfilling. Um, and they're, they're kind of like, you know, I thought this was it. And that's the person I'm talking to as well as like, you know, this is, you know, this is what happened. And this is how, you know, that, that there's change. There is hope. The future is wide. The future is not narrow, but a lot of us, you know, it's a, it's a common human thing. Like we're just looking out for number one. I need to survive. I just, if I, if I think about other people, and I care about these things, like it's going to take away from what I'm doing. And that's the whole point. This is actually straight from scripture when it's, and it's not just a spiritual discipline. It's a secret to success is if, if you want to be, if you want to have good friends, you have to be friendly. Yeah. You can't buy them. Right. If you want or hire them, um, if you want a great relationship, you need to prior, prioritize your partner. If you want a good business, you need to prioritize your customers. It's not about you. The more that we look in about my needs and trying to, you're actually shooting yourself in the foot. So yeah. I have this mantra that if you commit to the success of others, everyone succeeds, including you. And yeah. and that's a hard place for people to get. We have believed in this Darwinian kind of a thing that like, it's the big dogs, you know, you need to kill or get killed, like, you know, go out there in business and just be a shark. And, and, you know, yeah, you might, you might, I mean, there's people out there that are succeeding that way, but I can guarantee you the personal life, the, the joy, the, the, all these other things that, that are, you know, coming at a high cost. Yeah. So I, I'm thinking about, uh, what you're talking about and you're definitely talking about switching from building your own empire to helping other people um 
in a way, not not yeah. really building theirs, but like I think you're yeah. like, hey, get the get your eyes off yourself. Start yeah. looking at the things that are outside uh, in your world. What problems can you help solve? Is it, it am I am I catching that? Uh, yeah, it, it's it's a little bit of both, you know, and okay. I think that's where I have to really delineate is that, yes, um, there is an element of, you know, uh, widening your vision a little bit because because my heart is like there's just we create so much disparity unknowingly. Yeah, because, uh, you know, capitalistic like the capitalistic drive is just like, look, win at all costs. And and we have to stop that train because we are winning at losing our own soul. Like a lot yeah. of us are the cost of us winning is just there's it's not a good trade off. Yeah. You know, the environment is suffering. Um, you know, there's racism yeah. because, you know, we start we start blaming, we start othering and we're not looking. Um, and so there's there there's that element. But there's also an element of you know, look, if you're, if you want to succeed, this is how, like, you know, this is a secret. This is a secret to success, although it's not really a secret. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, and, and I think it's really hard, like, to think, wow, prioritizing others, prioritizing others in business. And some people have done a great job. And I love sharing examples like, let's take Patagonia. Do you know Patagonia? Yeah. 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 Clothing company, right? They just, they're just hardcore. Look, it might cost a little more up front, but, you know, their customer service, the way they treat their employees, they have, they're the type of company, I think that they have 600 and some applications all the time. People, wow. they have no turnover wow. because they, they prioritize their employees to the point that it does feel like home. It feels like family, Yeah. you know, and they do the same to their customers. And if, if something rips, you just send it in and they'll fix it. You don't want you to buy a new one. I mean, there's just... You know, there's people that you're and you would think like they're doing it all backwards and it's being it's just proven over and over that um, it's actually the way to do it. You know, so that's interesting because an entrepreneur like you would say most of the time would be like, hey, capitalism is important. Right. So um, and, and there's an underbelly to capitalism and there's mm -hmm. also the underbelly to the other piece. But I don't I don't hear as an entrepreneur, you're saying. Oh, that one's good too. You're you're talking like like when I'm talking like you got capitalism, communism, socialism. You're talking mm -hmm. about a third way. Mm, mm. You're you're not talking about a polarity between the two. Yeah. You're talking about something uniquely different. Yeah, that's a, that's interesting. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, third way. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I was just talking to someone recently today about that. Is that you know, there's little bits and pieces of you know, capitalism and this, and, and there's bits and pieces of these other systems that, that maybe work in, in the right context. And I don't know, I don't, I don't endorse, you know, like, Hey, this is it. And, but you're right. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of harm and a lot of damage that can be done in all of those. Mm -hmm. But there is this thing that like, here's the point I think. And this is that our, what I'm really trying to do too, is help people like identify what is healthy ambition yeah and and what and how do we how do we keep our ego in check like this is interesting um we, i think you've probably done this in ministry as long as you've been in i know you have i've done just about every personality test there is out there like we love being aware of what my personality type is i've right. done the disc i've done the yeah. myers-briggs i've done 
the Berkman or whatever that's called. I've done, <laughs> and I'm, I can't, yeah. I can't even keep track of them. Yep. And I stopped remembering people are like, well, what's your, uh, you know, your Enneagram. I'm like, I don't remember. I, I don't, I have taken so many. I'm a 14. Um, I'm a 14. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a fourteen. Hey, dude. There's only nine <laughs> numbers. No, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, no. That's, that's probably what I would say. Yeah. And um, but we love measuring personality and being aware of it. And then we also can measure IQ. So we have mm -hmm. IQ. We have a, we can measure emotional intelligence. But there's nothing out there that I've found that, and and it's not something we talk about. Is how do we measure and become more aware of our ego and and. And to me, <laughs> it's the most important piece because I know a lot of brilliant people yeah. and I know a lot of emotionally intelligent people that when the ego takes over, mm -hmm. man, there's a politician. Become, yep. Oh, I'm <laughs> telling you, they will yeah. die even knowing they're wrong yeah. just, just to protect their ego. And they yeah. become the most, I mean, you're intelligent, but you are acting a fool. Mm -hmm. Like that to me is one of the main problems is. So I, I'm not I'm, I'm not like a Harvard student, but I'm I'm working with some people to create some kind of a way where we can actually measure and become more aware of our ego drive, our ambition. So some guys how, that how I work we, with, yeah. Go go ahead. Sorry, I don't want to cut you off. No, I'm good. I was just saying how healthy or unhealthy it is. Go ahead. Yeah. So there's some guys that I work with that kind of did this thing to me. The, the, the Bible already has this. It's called the, the fruit of the spirit, meaning yeah. <laughs> you take yeah. time with Jesus, you change. And so you got these nine categories, right? Nine, mm -hmm. nine. No, I'm just playing. Yeah. Nine. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, you just put up eight fingers. <laughs> no. yeah. Nine categories that uh, you you can almost quantify. Well, that's what's happened. We've quantified people. We haven't qualified people. And qualified mm. means um, how are you doing in these nine areas? That I can mm. know because those nine areas are the uh, byproduct of your relationship with God. So love, joy, mm. peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mm -hmm. long suffering, self-control, like uh like you know, there's a couple more, but like yeah. you quantify those. You could do that one one through ten, you know? Yeah. How am I doing yeah. self assessment wise? How am I doing in loving? And then here's the kicker. We love our friends. That's not what Jesus told us to do. Yeah. Jesus yeah, exactly. told a bunch of racist Hebrews <laughs> to love the Samaritans and the Romans <laughs> yeah. whom yeah. they despised. Yeah. And he gave yeah. them a qualification of what love looked like. Like if they ask yeah. you to go a mile, you go too. If they ask for your shirt, give them your coat. If they, wow. if they are on the side of the road, don't ignore them, care for them. Yeah. Yeah. Serve them yeah. to the point of death. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what love is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if we, yeah. So like there's, there's some, there's some, there's nine of those and then creating some more than ranking, but some kind of uh, yeah, ranking, but also asking a lot of questions to get to that. Yeah. Like how, you know, I think the, the one thing that worries me is that again, I said it earlier, but the religious ego is the hardest, I think, because we're so convinced that we're right. We're so mm -hmm. convinced that what we're doing, some of us will, 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 fight and argue thinking that we're defending the faith as if God is like, someone defend me, please, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> and, and we're out there doing that. But we would say, Oh, I am so righteous and holy and I'm doing this. But 
we're, we're so unaware, our religious ego and our need to be right, and that I, I think that's the part that had, we have to take the hammer and chisel and be like, wait a minute. Like, are you even listening to someone's story? And can you at least just validate, even if you don't agree, you know, like treat them like a human being and don't just come and start, you know, um, colonizing them with your view of what's right and, and what's, you know, correct. And, and I think that's the hard part, you know? Um, yeah, because most people, a lot of pastors that are doing a lot of damage, they keep just telling themselves, but look how many people came last Sunday, you know, yeah. there's almost like, I, I, I say this, we would think the ends justifies the means. And I mm -hmm. keep saying, actually, the means, the way you're doing it and how, who you're being is actually unjustifying the ends. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. we're, we're creating, we're not creating disciples, we're creating, I mean, I don't want to get political, but January 6th was to me the result of discipleship. That mm. It's working exactly the way that people have been discipling. Yeah. Like, like they're worshiping and they're carrying crosses and yeah. in that, in that oh, day. Yeah. And I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> and they're all coming out of these churches. That's oh, sorry. A, that's that's a, a really great bad. indictment of everything. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're good. My bad. Bro. I, You're I, good. I'll back up. <laughs> no, no, no. That's good. So, uh, yeah. You. So first off, uh, yeah. my friend Brian Phipps, Brian Phipps, who we had on the podcast uh, right before you, he's the okay. guy that taught me the whole like uh, God gives us the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit for character and for calling. And what you're talking about is very much character mm. and calling together yeah. infused. Yeah. So there are some of us that are that are carrying that message, and I'm super excited about that. Secondly, mm. that whole piece of discipleship, I, we are perfectly designed for the results we are getting. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm pretty sure the first time I heard that was Pastor Chris Hodges. I don't have an original uh, yeah. idea, so <laughs> I don't think we. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, yeah, you're not wrong. Mm. And so we've got to, we've got to shift that. And, um, I think guys mm. like you that are beginning to go, Hey, I'm not going to be in the four walls of the church. Um, mm -hmm. because that's not where real ministry happens. Yeah. And that's important. And then teaching other people that that's all, that's also important. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. As we as we wrap up, mm -hmm. what were what would you like to tell entrepreneurs out there that are uh, or leaders out there even not just entrepreneurs but leaders uh, that are missionally discontent like you? Mm. What what would what sort of encouragement or exhortation would you have for those guys mm. as they go through this process? Yeah, man, I'll answer it with with that one short motto and then I'll say something after, but I would just say to write this down and think about it, meditate about it. Think, you know, is that's that phrase commit to the success of others and everyone succeeds. And that includes you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important because there's a lot there and there's that passage, you know, that says to prefer others before yourselves, yeah. right? There's yeah. the love your neighbor yourself. And a lot of times we think, oh, that's just that, that's like a spiritual discipline. I need to practice that because I'm supposed to, you know, I'm a Christian. I should, but it, it's, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's a, it's a key and yeah. it's something that we need to sit with. And 
So I think that's important. And, and I'm telling you, as an entrepreneur, that's a key thing. Prioritizing. So there's, and man, this is cool. In software development, I got to design some software. When we started the nonprofit, we had so many volunteers. And we started realizing that United Way and the city of Los Angeles were all having the same problem. And there was no software out there that could manage and uh, large amounts of volunteers, you know, in one place. Yeah. And so we started building it, but I got to learn so much. And one of the things that they're doing, they call them, I can't remember the exact name, user experience and user interviews is such a key thing. It's yeah, a UX key and to UI. Yep. Yep. UI, yeah. To, to build something, you can't just be like, I have this vision, let's go build it. Because you build something and then it's not even really connecting with people. And that's yeah. what we do. We think, I have this vision, I'm going to go do this and I'm building this company and I'm trying to sell this. But we never actually stopped and committed like, all right, let's take, let's take some customers. What's your name? Who are you? Where do you mm -hmm. live? Why do you, what, what's your need here? How can I help you? What's, I'm telling you, like, see, I'm telling you, that's a key. Mm -hmm. And companies that start doing that are, are like, boom, it's yeah. changing everything. So commit to their success and you will succeed. But I'm just saying too, like, it's not just for the end goal. And that's where it gets backwards too. It's like, you don't sit there and say, I want to be a billionaire. I guess I need to start caring about my customers. No, like, you know, anyway, but that, that's a key. I would just encourage people to, to do that. And it will get you out of the cycle of disparity. A lot of us were like, we just are frustrated. We're stuck and it'll get us into a different cycle where you start to come alive. You start to, mm -hmm. you start to like want to meet customer needs and care about people and you want to make a difference like hey did i didn't even know that there were so many of our customers that are teachers you know and some people will start to like adjust even who they are in order to meet a need that's there and yeah. i'm telling you if you tie these things together it will it will uh build a culture even if you have employees or if it's you it'll it'll light it'll light it up it'll be it'll start a fire that you will be hard to put out that is amazing. Well, yeah. Jesse, thank you for being a part of us today and like giving us your wisdom and uh, dream wide, I think is something that I will, um, it'll be like, Hey, uh, commit mm. to the success of others. Right. And, yeah. and it'll yeah. be quote, Chesley Lunday, dot, 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 <laughs> dot, dot, exactly. dot, quoting Jesse Ross. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just playing. Yeah, hey, where no, can we find do. you, man? Where can we find yeah. you online? If we want to connect with you? Yeah, um, you know, uh, hello Jesse Ross is all the is all the social media handles. Just hello Jesse Ross, spelled J E S S E R O S S, and uh, it's actually uh, there's a website hello Jesse Ross dot com, and that's that's probably the best place because that'll okay. just start to unpack a little bit. And then uh, I'm I'm gonna be following your footsteps and launching a podcast soon called the Dream Wide Podcast, and actually would uh, looking forward to having you on as a guest. So yeah. that's gonna be fun. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get, we're going to unpack all this stuff. It's going to be great. Uh, it's going to be so, fun. Yeah, man. All Why right. Not? Cool. Well, thank you, man. And hey. uh, guys, we would love to have you follow his stuff. So definitely do that. Thank you. Thank you, Chesley. And keep up the good work, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Jesse, for an amazing interview. Hey, I am getting ready to do my soapbox for today. And man, Jesse talked about dreaming wide. And 
I I don't know. I I like reading my Bible. Uh, some of you might like that's archaic. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. But there's a story that I remember in the Bible. It was about the Tower of Babel. For those of you that have no clue about the Bible and the stories that are in it. I'll just give you a brief synopsis of what the Tower of Babel was about. So everybody on earth at this time had a common language. They all spoke the same language. They all had the same culture. They all thought the same way. And everybody came to an agreement, which is crazy, right? No, not three of us have a hard time coming to an agreement, let alone everybody on earth deciding the same exact thing, right? And so in this story, everybody has this idea of um, doing one thing together, and that was creating a high place, like building a tower to the heavens so that they could be worshiped as gods. And uh, they get to work. They build it. And they are doing a good job of being in one accord or being unified in this one purpose. That's what it means to be in one accord. And it says that God comes and walks between the men and looks at them. And it says that God looks at what they're doing and is deeply dismayed and uh, disheartened that he even created God because they were so wicked. You see, you got the creator of the universe that has created them for relationship. They rebelled against him, and now they're creating their own tower to the heavens to be worshipped as gods themselves rather than um, the creator that who create that created them, right? And so here they are building it, and so God decides to um, change their languages. So he said, if they don't, if they don't get split up now and they don't scatter now, they will finish what they started. And so he uh, goes ahead and he confuses their language, hence the name, the Tower of Babel. Yeah, um, that's where we get the word babbling from, is from this story, the Tower of Babel. So they, uh, at one minute, they are all communicating, and then they all communicate and can't understand each other, don't know what each other's saying. They get all confused, they get in fights, and they all head out their same direction. Uh, funny story, etymologists who love language have traced back all the languages, all the known languages of the earth, and they said there are eight subsets of language, and they can't reduce it to any less than eight. I wonder why. It's possible that the Tower of Babel had something to do with it. Now, is it a real story? I don't know. Is it a? Uh, is it just an allegory? It could be. Or, you know, it could Something really crazy could have happened at one time, and we could have gotten eight languages out of it. Anyways, that's not the point. The point is this. God talks about scattering, and the Tower of Babel caused all of these people to scatter and create. Back in Genesis 1, the thing that God told Adam and Eve to do, the first man and the first woman, was to uh, rule the earth to be fruitful, multiply, rule the earth, fill the earth and subdue it, bring it under your reign. And, uh, and then you see, uh, they decide to stay in one place. And instead of scattering, God like confuses their language. So they have no choice, but to scatter because they don't know each other anymore. They now have to have different cultures because they have different languages. And then when Jesus comes some five, 6,000 years later, you see that, uh, he says the same thing in Acts chapter one, verses eight to go therefore into 
all the earth and preach the gospel, baptizing everybody in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He wants us to go and scatter. And so often what you look at in the American church is you look at uh, how we create our big buildings. And, and buildings aren't bad. Don't get me wrong. Buildings are not bad. But when they take the place of idolatry in our lives, rather than worshiping God, we worship our organizations and we build up and we build large and we don't build wide and to go viral in a network space. We're not doing what God calls us to do, which is to go out and spread. God wants each and every one of us to be using our gifts to rule and subdue the earth, to fill it and to reign over it. And the best way for that us to do it is that each and every one of us has the ability to pull this off. And so we need to learn what it looks like to dream wide, to go wide rather than to go up. And I believe that if you look at the stories that uh, are in the Bible, you see this principle at work. So the Jews uh, who became Christians in the first century, they're in Jerusalem. It says that they are doing such a great job being a community that everybody in Jerusalem had heard the gospel of Jesus. And so they hung out, they had fun, and they, uh, they stayed. And then comes the hammer, which is Saul of Tarsus, who later on becomes Paul and writes two-thirds of the New Testament. When he hit down on the church, he uh, persecuted them and tortured them and killed them, and they scattered to all four, what they said, four corners of the globe at that time. When they took the gospel with them, they scattered. And I believe they scattered, God had them scatter through Paul because they wouldn't scatter by themselves. He doesn't want us to build up. He wants us to build out. He wants us to build wide. And um, I am thinking through that as an American citizen who loves business. Um, I think um, if you look at the way to do commerce and business now, um, I think the profit and to build up has been uh, the number one source of um, what we consider success. And I think legacy needs to be our measure of success moving forward as business leaders, as leaders in uh, the creative and innovative spaces. We need to begin to start thinking about what it would look like to help our employees, the, the, the people that God has given us to steward well, to manage them as they work and use their God-given abilities. And I'm looking at a business sector that really doesn't do that well. They don't even know most, most, most employees go into their business, they get trained to do a specific job and then that's it. They don't get, they don't get poured into, they don't get developed as people. They're told to do one thing and one thing alone. And they don't even know how to make it, uh, how to make it, um, up the ladder in their, in their organizations. And so what if we were leaders who said, you know what, when you come on board with us, not only are we going to teach you these pieces, we're also going to teach you the character you need to have to, to make this organization a great place to work. But we're also going to teach you how to develop the calling that God has on your life. And whether you're a Christian or not, you don't have to use those words, but what if you actually helped people develop their, uh, their gifts and their talents and their abilities and skills and gave them the opportunities to, to use them in their spaces? Most people don't want to leave an organization. They want to work there. They want to have fun. They want to build on a mission. And then there's some guys like me who just have to go start something, right? We just, that's what we are called and wired to do. And what do you do with those guys if you're in a business? Well, first off, you have to shift your thinking. 
You can't be afraid of deploying people. You can teach them to develop their skills and gifts and abilities. And if you have a guy like me that is or entrepreneur rather than entrepreneur, entrepreneur means working and building new things within an existing organization. Entrepreneur means building new things that do not exist outside of an existing organization. So I'm an entrepreneur. My dad is an entrepreneur. My dad wants to work within an organization to build new things. I want to go start new organizations, build new things. What could you do as a business leader to help someone like me and still get the ability for impact? Well, you have the opportunity to develop that skill and then invest in them. What if you became a leader that invested in 15 different businesses through your own business? This is not a zero sum game. We keep thinking the scarcity mentality. Jesus didn't think that way. He thought in abundance. And when you have an ability to invest in others, guess what's going to come back to you? rewards. Maybe it's monetarily. We need money. We need money to live. You need monetary rewards to keep your business running to help employ more people. Yes, that's amazing. But you also get the legacy piece, the people you leave behind long after you're gone, the organization that has this culture to it. There is much bigger things at play than money and money is only a part of the and piece, uh, a piece of the puzzle. It's only part of it. There's so much more out there that we could do. If we dream wide and we think about unleashing people's gifts, talents, and abilities, even in the marketplace, not just the church world, I believe we can make our world and our cities a better place. Hey, if you are listening, um, subscribe, rate, and review us. Subscribe to our podcast. Rate and review us on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you're listening. And we know that if you're on YouTube, we'd love to see you subscribe. Hit the subscribe button. Just, hey, let us know what you loved about this episode as well. Next week, we have John Mediana. He is an amazing marketer who has worked with guys like Andy Grammer and Gary V and other guys like Lewis Howes. He is an amazing guy. He also happens to be a Christian and is working with what it looks like to be a Jesus follower in the workplace. He is an amazing dude. He is gifted at what he does. In fact, I mean, media is in his last name, right? So he better be, right? Um, and I'm so excited for the conversation that's happening with him next week. Hey, remember this, that you have the ability to help people reach their potential. You have what it takes inside of you to make an a powerful impact on your communities and your city and your world. But the best way to do that without depleting the thing inside of you um, is to develop in fulfillment first. I believe that is through Jesus Christ. But for some of you that are like, I don't know, I don't know. What I would say to you is that you need to develop fulfillment and, um, and learning how to be mindful and, uh, and think through what it looks like to uh, to relate to the creator of the universe. I think all of us agree that there is something out there, and you could tap into that. Mindfulness is a great way to do that, um, and prayer is a great way to do that. But develop a fulfillment, and there are things like contentment and simplicity and solitude. Those pieces help us become fulfilled, and here's the deal. The reason why we want you to develop fulfillment is because only fulfilled leaders can fill the world with hope. And I believe that you can be one of those leaders. We'll see you next week. 
Hey, don't forget to check out Jesse Ross and everything he's doing at GoBeTheOne.com. Also, be looking out for his book, Dream Wide. Every week, we get together and we talk with amazing people that are making huge impacts in their community. Next week is John Mediana. I'm super excited about this interview and we would love to see you there listening with us. Also, remember this, every week at the end, I'm going to tell you only fulfilled leaders fill the world with hope because it's people like you that matter, that when they become fulfilled, they can go into their cities, find places that need hope and they're able to deposit it there because you need to be filled to be able to pour out what is inside you. Otherwise, you're gonna pour out and you're gonna get depleted quickly. And so when we lead from fulfillment. We are not worried about depleting ourselves. We want to be hope dealers in this world and we can only do that when we're fulfilled. Thank you for listening to the Leadful Podcast hosted by Chesley Lunday. Join us next time to discover insights to defeat futility and develop fulfillment. Now it's your turn to lead full. Go, fill the world with hope.